Okay, so welcome back to the UFO Thinker podcast, part of the Colin Albeans Cab Network. My name's Frank, and today we have with us a special guest, uh, Finn, who you might know as Finn365 on Twitter or X, uh, and, and I believe YouTube as well. So uh, thanks very much for joining me, Finn, for a chat. How are you doing today, mate? I'm good, thanks, Frank. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a, it's a real real pleasure, and um, just for people who are sort of not aware of of, of your background, um, I just give a little intro as to why I kind of wanted to speak to you on the pod. I I, th- I think you have a, a very interesting angle uh, that you approach this topic from, um, kind of what I would refer to as uh, an open minded skeptic, and there's there's kind of precious few in that category. Uh, yourself, Chris Bits, uh, perhaps a handful of others. Um, and I think the reason I find your approach quite valuable is that there's a whole host of of people on on the one extreme or like militant debunkers who approach the analysis of cases from like a almost like a place of desperation to prove that there's there's no aliens involved kind of thing. But then there's also another side of it where certain folks on the other extreme are adamant that certain cases certainly a spaceship you know piloted by nordics or whatever without any anything verifiable to to point to that and obviously there's problems with kind of either approach about coming from that predetermined conclusion rather than just following data um and i think it's you know it's very important to have people who can look at cases um and objectively have a look at what's going on and try and get to the bottom of it and there's a a relatively small percentage as i say who, who actually approach it in that way and, and obviously as i say i think you're one of those so um before we kind of get into anything further can you talk a little bit perhaps about your approach that you have when it comes to looking at ufo cases yeah i think um well when i first got into this in about 2007 it was it was after watching the disclosure press conference um that stephen greer did and um I was very new to the subject then. I didn't re- didn't really have any interest apart from a little, you know, just seeing UFOs on the front of magazines when I was a kid. But in 2007, um, I was uh, 27. And so I was entering it pretty, pretty fresh and not really knowing about just the sheer amount of stuff that's involved in the subject with regards, not only just witnesses, but also things like hoaxes and misidentifications. Um, But I was pretty shocked by the press conference and thought, um, wow, I think there is actually something to this. But then the next couple of years, well, the the next six months in particular, where I really started to dig in pretty deep, I discovered that there were a lot of things that at first seemed really compelling, but then on later kind of further inspection turned out to be... uh, questionable things like billy mayer you know when i first saw the billy mayer um videos and documentaries i thought well this guy doesn't look like he's he's a hoaxer you know and then the more i learned about it the more i looked into what debunkers had had done over the years and skeptics and and i came to the conclusion that actually he had hoaxed these videos and photos and there are other similar examples and i just so it was a pretty 
quick education because I, I had a background in photography and using Photoshop. So I ended up going through this process of thinking it was real, then realizing that a lot of it was not, but never going full in full skeptic where some skeptics i think probably start off thinking some of it's real and then they kind of get disillusioned by it when they find out how much of it is not real and how many misidentifications and hoaxes there are so then they they kind of go right to the other side of of the subject where they're just like well then it's probably all nonsense um but i ended up having three sightings within about a year and a half so i think that's basically the reason why i've not gone full hardcore skeptic because i know that there is something to it also at the time when i first kind of woke up about it in uh, 2007 after watching that press conference i was reminded of something that my mother told me before she passed away soon after and that was in 1998 she told me that she'd seen a flying saucer in broad daylight landing in the park at the end of her garden and um she passed away a couple of weeks after that so it just i just completely forgot that she told me that story until i saw this disclosure press conference and, and started to really dig into the subject so that also kept my mind open despite the fact that i was discovering a lot about hoaxes and learning a lot about misidentifications and i've been a photographer since age five so it didn't take long for me to really listen carefully to some of the debunking that had been going on um, and listen to the skeptics. I joined a couple of skeptical groups on Facebook as well as joining, you know, pro UFO and believer groups. Um, and I just found that I wasn't scared to really listen to the debunkers, listen to what they had to say about a given case. And sometimes I found that they made a lot of sense. So I learned from them. I think it's tempting for some people in this subject to try to ignore debunkers because often what they say is is uh, it's very inconvenient, especially if you've really invested in a certain case or believe in a certain video, and then someone comes along and says, "Actually, it's not it's not what you think it is." It can be quite a challenge to listen to them and really give them enough time so that you can get a balanced perspective on it. Um, I mean, and I've been fooled by by videos since that I thought actually that looks like the real thing, and then it's sometimes it's taken two or three years um, to to kind of find the truth about a given video or case. So I've learned that it often it's best to just kind of sit on the fence with some of these things and be open to that they could be real, but also really listen carefully to the debunkers when they particularly when they have really done their work and they they're making a good case yeah definitely and, and as you say i think anybody who's done any like looking at databases or compiling databases of of ufo sightings and and things like that especially the you know the ones that include uh any kind of footage um anybody who's done that will know that a very, very high percentage are misidentifications or, or kind of, you know, sometimes hoaxes as well and that kind of thing. Um, but there is a, a really small percentage that do appear to be very, very compelling, and that can definitely 
you know that, that can definitely put certain people down that that path of of becoming you know oh 95 96% of it or whatever is 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 kind of is not anything anomalous so that means it all is kind of thing but obviously the really interesting stuff is that very small percentage that even when you've done a lot of digging into something still kind of hold up as an interesting case what i was uh, going to ask you is what kind of process do you kind of use to to get it from a case to being something that you've narrowed down into a, a really interesting case you know what what's that what process of, of investigation look like yeah it's i mean it depends on the on the case it's like where, where videos are concerned um I mean, if it's a historical thing, a historical case or claim or video, um, I think you've just got to look really closely at the at the literature that what has been written on the case before. What do experts who've been at this longer than me say? What have they got to to bring to the table on it? Um, I'm certainly not afraid of going onto Google, typing in the name of the case, and then putting the word debunked at the end or explained at the end, and then seeing if anyone has come up with a mundane explanation. Because sometimes it's it's easy to, especially in, in kind of pro-UFO circles, to not hear about some mundane explanation that might have been put forth. And it's only when you do more digging that you find, actually, someone has looked into this and they've found a possible mundane explanation for it and um and it's hard it's hard to know exactly how to address this question without a, a particular example but it's the, the way i tend to approach um historical cases is to, to do just that just look really look into the case look at uh, the source try and find you know in, in interviews with the witnesses themselves and really look carefully at those and then look at the what the debunkers might might be saying or what skeptics might have said over the years and then just weigh it up for myself and if there are people talking about it in forums like skeptics in forums go and ask them what they think why they think that and same with the the believers as well if people are saying no that the skeptics are all wrong then ask them exactly why it is they think that it's tough of course when you haven't got a video and it's just someone making a claim uh, and they they didn't they didn't take any video or anything like that then i think that's where the the crux of this issue lies is that is is do you believe the witness and how compelling is the witness what uh, what is it that that they're saying that makes them seem compelling um there's there are some traps you can fall into there where if they say they've had multiple sightings it's i think it's very tempting to say well then that means they're more likely to be wrong or more likely to be someone who is just prone to making mistakes or prone to fantasy. But from my own experience of having three sightings, I know that, that and they were very unambiguous sightings. I know that there's more to that than, than there seems when you, at first glance. And you'd really do need to then speak to the person and find out how compelling they are when you're actually talking to them, try and get to know them a little bit. 
Yeah, definitely. And and as you say, I, I guess every every case is is different. So there's no kind of one size fits all, you know, approach to analysing cases and whatnot. So you, you do have to kind of work with what you've got in front of you. Um, but that's really interesting what you mentioned because I mean I, I'm no expert at doing ca- you know case analysis or anything like that. But when I have looked into certain cases and you know done like a deep dive podcast on it, one of the things I've always really tried to do is actually go out there and look at what the best explanation is that's being put forward by debunkers. Um, and obviously, yeah. you know, if the, what's, the, what's the best, like, prosaic explanation that there that, that could be for this and weigh that up against the best, you know, evidence of, of it being something anomalous and then you end up with, you know, something that you can settle on as to the likelihood of it of it being prosaic and that kind of thing. You know, I think that's re- really important. So, um, yeah. I think the Navy, but, the Navy videos are a good example there of some, something where, in a case like, um, I mean, I, I'm really not an an expert in in any particular field, so I wouldn't want to wade into the debate about, for example, the gimbal video. But I think that's one where I'm quite happy to sit on the fence and watch what the skeptics are saying, and then watch what the 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 kind of pro UFO analysts are saying. Um, and I think it's premature for the skeptics to say, well, it's, you know, because it looks like it's a glare and it's kind of, and that could just be a glare rotating, then it's probably just an aircraft in the distance, I think. But hang on, that that's, uh, there's a lot of other information that comes with that video. It's not just the video. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. And that's where a case like that is a really challenging one. And I think it's healthy to just say, I don't know what's going on there, but I'm not going to say that it's definitely an aircraft in the distance. And I'm certainly not going to say it's definitely a flying saucer tilting on its side, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, like you say, the, the gimbal analysis, certainly a lot of the the work that's been done on that uh, by kind of, I suppose you could say either side, you know, the kind of those who are, who are more tending towards it being something truly anomalous versus the sort of debunker crowd who are, have already decided that it's, that it's not, um, you know, the, the work that's been done on that is mostly over my head from a technical point of view. And I'm more than happy to admit that because I'm not, yeah, you know, the, the, the level of detail that's, that's been gone into in that analysis is, is pretty, you know, pretty incredible really. But for me, I think one thing that I, I think is, is a good thing about having various, um, you know, skeptical voices in the community is that it, it prompts a better argument to be put forward in terms of the analysis that that supposedly proves that it is something anomalous. And I think like the work that Marek's been doing, for example, uh, with a couple of others, you know, that has been in a, in a lot of ways, a response to the fact that there's various skeptical explanations like the rotating glare thing and whatnot. And I think in in some ways it's, it's quite good, you know, to have that, that counterpoint, you know, but obviously the issue is, as we've discussed, touched on a little bit is when it becomes, you know, the, the debunkers are determined for it to not be something anomalous and, and sort of in some ways that can affect the analysis that takes place, isn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, some sometimes the, the impression I get, especially on Twitter, is that there's a, a desire to silence the sceptical voices that are coming into these kind of debates. And I think that would be a mistake, I think, um, because then you can end up with hoaxes and misidentifications getting much more traction than they would otherwise get if they didn't have that pushback. And then we end up as, you know, as someone who's a 
who's I'd say is pro UFO overall, because I know that there's a reality there. Um, we end up the longer a given misidentification or or hoax gets hyped and publicized, the more embarrassing it is for the for the UFO community when it is eventually debunked or explained. So the sooner the skeptics come in with their potential explanations and give us a bit of pushback, the better. And I mean, in some cases, I don't name any in particular, but in some cases, we've had videos hyped that have been that have had a mundane cause, and we've. Uh, we've actually been saved from extended embarrassment by the fact that those videos have been debunked pretty quickly. Um, and I think, again, like the word debunked, often it's it's treated like that's a bad word, and it's just not. Literally, it just means to remove bad information. Do we want bad information confusing this already very complex and confusing subject? No, we don't. So we should be looking to explain videos that have mundane causes where it is possible. And we don't, we don't need to rush to do that, but I think we do need to aim to do that in the end. Yeah, very, very much so. And I mean, looking at the kind of wider picture of, of kind of progress towards, you know, transparency uh, with, with the governments and things like that. If, if we're, you know, as you say, sort of pro pro UFO, as it were, or pro UFO transparency, you know, I yeah. think it, it's good to have cases questioned to weed out the ones that do have prosaic explanations. Because as you say, if you get cases gaining a lot of prominence in the public eye that do turn out to have a pretty convincing prosaic explanation in the end, that is actually going to harm progress towards, you know, UFO transparency, if anything. If you if you constantly exactly, get yeah. the, the, the public are interested in a case and they, they're convinced that it's real, everybody gets excited and then it turns out, oh, it was just this. You know, what we really want... I would suggest at least is the cases that really do get that traction. I suppose like the Navy videos um, to, to be the most compelling cases with all of that sort of gold standard of lots of witnesses and, and data and things like that. So having the, the dodgy ones shot down at an early stage in some ways is, is quite a good thing. Yeah. Um, and I think also it, it serves to, to educate people. And there are a lot of new people coming into this subject. So the sooner they can learn about the regular misidentifications like flares and Chinese lanterns and lens flare, the you know, the quicker they can get a good education on that, the better they are, are then to placed in the subject to make their own decisions based on expertise that they have now developed. So I think it's good that they, that, that we all get exposed to these skeptical possibilities and the different, especially with when it comes to misidentifications, because a lot of people are filming a lot of stuff on their phones these days. And, uh, you know, and that's only to be expected. So a lot of them that are jumping into this subject, I think it's great for them to have a bit of an education or, you know, to, to see that there are possible explanations for a lot of these things. Very much so. Um, and obviously, you mentioned it a couple of times. I think it's about time that I ask you about your ex experiences as well, because I think that's it's really important to uh, for, for listeners to to understand like where where you're coming from. Um, because obviously, being somebody who, who does analysis of cases, um, but having had your own pretty unambiguous, um, you know, experiences as well, obviously gives you that kind of unique viewpoint um i know you've obviously been on a podcast recently with uh, i think ryan robbins um but obviously if you could just sort of summarize perhaps briefly as, as much as you can about your own sightings that would be really good certainly yeah yeah so in um 
it was early 2007 that I watched the Disclosure Press Conference. I started to do a lot of research into the subject, bought a bunch of books, watched um, as many documentaries and things as I could find. Um, and uh, and then in uh, late 2007, I was driving towards my sister's house in the evening and I saw two lights dropping out of the sky. They were two orbs and they were about five, four, four, five hundred meters. Actually, probably more like four hundred meters ahead of me. I've never actually measured that exactly on, on Google Earth, so I need to do that. And they were dropping out of out of the sky. They were corkscrewing around each other, and I, th I just was in disbelief. I thought, "What the hell is this?" Um, it, it clearly wasn't anything I'd ever seen before. Um, and I was right next to my sister's house by this point. So I pulled into the car park next to her house and I had to take my eyes off them to do that. And um, I was so close to some other houses that I lost sight of them behind these houses. And so I pulled into the car park, got out of the car, looked back in the general direction where I'd lost sight of these orbs behind some rooftops. And within a few seconds, these two aircraft came flying over my head. But they were black triangles and they were right next to each other just two of them in very close formation one to the side of and slightly behind the other and um, they each had a flashing white light in the center and they had white lights on each point and as they passed overhead um, they weren't making any noise at all and they were pretty low I've, I um, estimated them at the time when I wrote it down that evening when I got home, I said they were flying at about the height of Big Ben, which is the clock tower in London, um, which isn't a particularly high building. And so as they passed overhead, I thought, I think I'm having a UFO sighting. But I couldn't believe it because I'd only just become deeply immersed in the subject, you know, just a matter of months earlier. And it's so it seemed basically too good to be true that I'd be really interested in UFOs, you know, hoping to see one myself and then actually get to see these things very unambiguously flying over my sister's house. So I, I went into my sister's house and I told her, I think I've just seen two UFOs. And at this point, I'd already kind of repressed the, the fact that I'd seen these two balls of light dropping out of the sky beforehand. It, um, it was just it's it was it was so weird. It seemed way too too good to be true, and I was kind of in disbelief. But I knew that they weren't any normal type of aircraft. They were obviously two black triangular shaped aircraft, and yes, they had these these white strobes in the center. Um, so part of me was saying, well, I I, I mean, maybe it was some kind of aircraft that I'm not familiar with. Um, and I think a lot of people have that reaction. They're just like, well, UFOs aren't real, are they? So so that this must be some kind of secret um, craft or something that I'm just not familiar with. But it being the aftermath of me, well, in, in the middle of me becoming so interested in the subject, I was also very open to the idea that they were UFOs. And so, but the, of course, the, the conclusion is, so I've got really interested in UFOs and then within months, 
I've had this completely unambiguous sighting. So it seems like they have kind of like the phenomena has kind of picked me out for this. It just seemed ridiculous, kind of corny and and highly unlikely to happen. And yet the the fact that they were so low and so close together um, and so unambiguous just left me with with like I, I couldn't really avoid the fact that, yeah, I've, I have had a UFO sighting. So it seemed crazy, but it was utterly real. I was sober. I, you know, I was, um, so I was just in disbelief really. And then, um, so I was living outside of the town where I, where I now live Monmouth at the time of that in 2007. And then in mid 2008, I moved into Monmouth where I now live and I got a job as a taxi driver. And then in September, September the 26th of 2008, I uh, picked a gentleman up from uh, one of the pubs in town. And as we were heading out of town, heading up the dual carriageway towards a, uh, towards a, a village called Whitchurch, I saw these two black triangles up in the sky and they were a little higher than before. But again, they were right next to each other in close formation. And this time they had a row of big blue lights along the back end of each one, four turquoise blue lights along the back end of each one. They really stood out. And uh, my adrenaline started to to, to pump. And, and, and I remember saying to the, to the gentleman who, who was in the taxi with me, I said, can you see that? As I was looking up at them through the windscreen, and they were heading in the opposite direction to me. So they were heading kind of towards us and heading over the top of the car. And he said, yep, I can see that. And I um, pulled the car over in a lay-by on the side of the road and uh, got out of the car and watched them heading over the hill um, towards Monmouth, where I had just come from. And I got back in the car and I was actually, I remember, I vividly remember being angry because I thought this is ridiculous now. I've seen these twice within the space of a year, what the hell is going on? Um, and I should add, I'm, I'm perfectly familiar with what aircraft look like when they fly over my town. I've lived here my whole life. They are always much higher up and you can just see the, the lights flashing in the distance. Um, these things were quite low and in close formation, uh, you know, right next to each other, like the red arrows, you know, the red arrows that we've got in the UK. Um, when you see them, they are almost wingtip to wingtip. And th these triangles were just like that. They were only a couple of meters apart maximum. So I, I, I said to the, to, the, to the customer, that's the second time I've seen those things. I can't believe it. Um, and he said something along the lines of, I used to be in the military and I've never seen aircraft like that either. So I dropped him off. And I was heading back into town. I was I was meant to pick up some customers from a hotel. And after waiting for them for about 10 minutes, five or 10 minutes, my uh, boss phoned me and said, they don't want their taxi anymore. Head back into Monmouth and go and pick up your next customer, who was a half, 10, half past 10 uh, pickup. And uh, so I'm heading back into Monmouth. And I ended up stopping at these traffic lights on the motorway or it's a dual carriageway and it's a little set of traffic lights right next kind of parallel to the center of Monmouth. And as I stopped at the traffic lights, I could see 
just to the right of the road ahead of me, a couple of hundred meters away and up above some trees, just um, set back from the side of the road on the right-hand side, I could see these two orange balls of light. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I was like, so what, twice in in one night now? What is what is going on now? And uh, so the lights turned green and I slowly drove past these two orbs and they were hovering above some trees just set back from the road. I was basically triangulating them as I drove past. I've had people say, what if it was something in the distance? Or uh, one pub landlord once said to me, oh, I think that was the North Star, wasn't it? And I was like, no, it, it wasn't a star. I was driving past them and they were hovering above a, a, above a quite tall tree in, in a park called Chippenham Park. And uh, I had my, I had all kind of instinctively wound my window down as I drove past them and the they were one above the other and the lower one had a spike extending out of its right hand side that was getting longer but they both seemed to be made of just this amber quite bright amber colored um i guess you i would call it now plasma but at the time i, I you know i didn't have words for it i was just like they looked like like little mini suns like if you look at a sun on a documentary and you can see it moving, um, it was like that. And I, um, and I just remember feeling quite um, scared. I thought that they look really um, energetic, like they're going to explode or something. So I'm not going to stop here on the motorway right next to them. I'm going to pull over in a slip road that is just down the road ahead of me on the left-hand side. So I did that, and that took about 10 to 15 seconds. I had to take my eyes off them while I looked ahead of me to pull over in this slip road. And I pulled over, got out of the taxi, turned back to look at them while standing just, you know, by the open door of the taxi. And uh, they were no longer there, these balls of light. Instead, there were two black triangles. And they were sat, instead of one above the other like the orbs were, the triangles were sat next to each other in formation like they were before so one slightly behind the other um, but they were just above the treetops about three just under 300 meters away from me i worked out later on google earth because i know exactly what trees they were hovering above and um i watched them kind of sitting there for a couple of seconds and then they moved across the road in front of me at, at about walking pace so very slowly for two relatively large aircraft and as they got about halfway across the dual carriageway, they um, became partially transparent and were and were rippling like the surface of a pond on a windy day. I could still see them, but they were transparent and rippling. They weren't completely invisible. I could actually see this kind of rippling material. And then they became solid again, carried on over the road, slowly pivoted as, as they turned away from me so they didn't bank like any normal aircraft they just pivoted and they headed away from me up the motorway and one of them eventually turned right and headed over a bridge called the y bridge in monmouth and the other one carried on up the motorway heading towards whitchurch where i'd previously come from and um i i couldn't believe it i just thought this is absolutely incredible if 
I think actually the first sighting in 2007 as they flew over my sister's house and virtually over the, over my head, they were probably closer to me. I mean, they were, they were not 300 meters away. But this final sighting felt much more unambiguous because they were so low above the treetops and I really got a good look at them and I really had time to just stand there and think, the, the yes, this is my third UFO sighting now, but this is real. This is actually happening. I can't believe it, but it, but it, here it is. It's right in front of me. Um, it was very easy to rule out all the mundane possibilities. They were not helicopters. They were not some aircraft in the distance, and I had misjudged how far away they were. They were hovering just above the trees by the side of the road, and they crossed the road at walking pace. And I'm not exaggerating in anything that, that I'm saying. If I had any doubt at all, then I wouldn't be talking about this. I've, I've got a lot of respect for people that really want to know the truth about this. Uh, uh, you know, I'm one of those people. I want to really know the truth about it. And I'm not going to, I don't want to add some kind of mythology to this. I don't want to add something if I had any doubt that it was what I, 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 I'm saying it was. And so that was it. Yeah, that's my three sightings. It, it it left me with no other option than to conclude that black triangle UFOs are 100% real, a physical craft of some unknown origin. Yeah, wow. I mean, that that is an absolutely amazing a, a, a series of, of sightings. And uh, it, it's something that actually funnily enough, is a real particular area of fascination for me, black triangles in general. Um, I've never actually personally never seen a UFO, so I wasn't lucky uh, like you were to to get into the topic and then and then actually have some sightings, which is, like you say, a very unusual chain of events. But as I say, one of the most incredible black triangle stories that I've ever heard. Um, and I suppose it, it does come down to that thing of, like you mentioned before, um, the credibility of the witness, but having forward your work and things like that and, and know how much logical analysis you put onto cases, you know, obviously I can I can sort of expect that you would have done exactly the same for your own sightings. And with with that in mind, it's 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 really mind blowing to hear about. And thank you for for you know for going into to that amount of detail. One thing that I think people will be curious about um would be did you have any opportunity to to think about taking photographs or videos or anything, particularly in the in the longer sighting? Yeah, so it's 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 one of the the most confusing parts about this whole subject for me is the is the question it is a great question of where are all the good photos and had I had I a good camera on me at the time for that final sighting, and I had taken a good photo of them, this we wouldn't be talking about this anymore. This would this this UFO mystery would be over because they they would have um, virtually filled the screen. You know, if I'd been able to zoom in a bit, I would have been able to fill the screen with these two triangles. I'm making an animation of them, so eventually that will be up on my channel, and people will be able to see exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I can only really tell you what was going through my mind at the time. 
And for the first sighting in 2007, I didn't even have a, a mobile phone because I was living out in the country where we, uh, uh, a place called Lanrothal, which is kind of deep in a, well, not deep in a valley, but it's in a, in a little Welsh valley. And there was no phone signal out there. So I was not interested in having a mobile phone while I lived there. But by the time I had this final sighting in 2008, um, I was a taxi driver. So I did have a mobile phone. And it was one of those little flip phones. Now, I know enough about cameras and, and about what they were capable of in 2008 to know that if I had tried to get a photo of those triangles with my camera phone, I don't think it would have. I don't think it would have come out very well at all because it was one of those. It was a little Nokia flip phone and it had really basic camera on it, really like probably. God, I, I don't want to get it wrong, but I would guess like one megapixel or, or, or even less. It was, uh, but but honestly, it just didn't occur to me. I was so shocked that this was happening um, that I just wanted to keep my eyes on these things. I, I didn't want to miss what was happening. Um, and I think that's probably the case with a lot of people. They're just in, they're deeply in shock and they are, we've been told our whole lives these things aren't real. And then there they are, less than 300 meters away, crossing the road right in front of me as if they're showing off. I mean, it was kind of brazen that how, how low they were and how slow they were flying. Um, and again, for that, for that final sighting, they had these big blue lights along the back end again that were oblong-shaped and bulging out of the bottom of the craft. They were really distinct large lights unlike any light i've ever seen on any aircraft um so i was just it's it's a bit like i mean i don't know um where you live in the uk but it was sometimes when i was driving the taxi i'd be driving along the back roads in the forest of dean and i'd see a deer by the side of the road and i and and i would just slow down wind the window down and and just kind of take it in and be like wow that's that's an incredible animal right there and you don't see them very often and you're not expecting to see them near the road so when you do you really take notice and it was like that but you know times a thousand because obviously deer are known to exist <laughs> so i was i i don't want to say that there was any kind of um manipulation of me going on there where i was somehow manipulated to not try and get a a photo but obviously in the aftermath i was thinking well surely it would be worth trying to get a photo even if the camera phone was crap even if even though it may not have got a very good image it would it would surely have been worth trying and i think the reason why i didn't was because i was in shock and I, my my th the thoughts going through my head were were kind of just wow that's incredible. Oh my God, this, I can't believe this is happening. The thoughts were not, oh, I need to, I need to get a photo so that I can prove this to people later on. That's, I can understand why people would think, well, if I was there, that's what I'd be thinking. But no, I was too busy being astonished and shocked. So ultimately I can't, you know, I can't explain why if there are thousands of people like me who've had sightings where if they did get a photo it this debate would be would be over i can't explain why none of them have had the the kind of presence of mind 
to get a photo. And I'm, and I mean, having having done a, a bit of research into the subject and into cases where people do claim to get photos, there are actually cases where people do say that, that they did take some photos, and yet the photos didn't come out. Or just as they try to get their equipment ready, all of the batteries go dead. You know, there are multiple different stories um, surrounding why we may not have good photos of these things. But for me, it was just astonishment. And I was not thinking I need to be able to record this for, for, to prove it to people at a later date. I was just thinking I need to take this in for my benefit. I need to look at this and not take my eyes off it. And had I got my camera out of my pocket and st or, you know my phone and started to bring the camera up on the screen, I think I would have risked missing some of that experience and I might not be able to explain it in the detail that I have. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. It kind of matches with, with a lot of other things that I've, I've heard from people. I've, I've talked on the podcast in the past about having a real interest in, in, you know, particularly like really unambiguous black triangle sightings. Cause of course there can be, um, misidentifications where people think things are a black triangle, certain plain light configurations and whatnot, as, as you say, Absolutely, very distant, yeah. very distant ones and things like that. And um, I've 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 sort of thought that I'd seen one myself now and again, and then realised that it's moving, and then as it comes closer, you realise it is actually a plane and things. But the the really yeah. unambiguous ones, like you're saying, um, you know, I've I've had actually quite a few people over the over the years I've been doing the podcast get in touch with 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 similar accounts um one in particular that i've kind of talked about before where somebody was saying it was literally about 60 meters above above the house and going over the street silent they're always silent and various kind of lighting configurations and the one that stuck out in my mind was um somebody who saw one at about three o'clock in the morning so so low that the the street lights were actually reflecting off the bottom of the, of the craft itself you know, and they, right, yeah. and they were sort of saying, you know, they've no interest in bringing the story forward. It's not one that's ever been kind of, you know, publicly unveiled or anything like that. They didn't have any photographs of it either, but just astonishing. One thing, one thing I always think with with the triangles is that um, just the size and the ominous nature. Was there an element of fear when you saw these things so close and so so vast and silent in a way that just doesn't seem to make sense? I mean, as I was driving past the orbs, I was quite intimidated. I thought they could explode or something. They seemed really energetic, kind of fizzing around the around the edges, and and the the, the lower one had this spike coming out of its right hand side that was extending in length. And I was just thinking, what the hell is going on here? I don't want to be right next to these things. That was my instinctive reaction, and I think that possibly comes from the only other. Thing that I could really compare them to would be a, a firework, like a sparkler that you hold as a kid and you wave a sparkler around. And obviously, we're we're taught to ne to never hold a sparkler by anything other than the bottom part because they're quite dangerous. They're clearly quite hot. So I think the impression I got from these things was that they, they were hot, and I just didn't, you know, and, and very energetic. And I I just remember thinking those that they could explode i don't i don't know why that was my my instinct but it was so i thought i'll get a bit of distance away from them but then by the time i pulled over in the slip road and i was looking back and watching these triangles cross the road i didn't feel any fear i think partly because they were not coming towards me 
they were clearly crossing the road in front of me. So it was similar to if I'd seen a deer walking across the road in front of me. It's not coming towards me. So I'm not thinking, oh, I need to prepare for to reverse the car or something like that. So I'm standing on the road and I'm not thinking, oh, they're going to come at me or I, I'm going to be abducted. Or There were no thoughts like that. I was just thinking, wow, these things look amazing. And I can't believe that this is the third time that I've seen them. Um, so no, there was no feeling of fear. They were big. Um, each one I, I described as being the size of the roof over the petrol forecourt at the bottom of Monmouth. So you could park 10 or 12 cars under each one. So they were pretty big, but they weren't these huge triangles that you hear about in some reports that are like football sized, football field sized. So I, I didn't find them intimidating. I just was absolutely shocked that I was seeing them. And I think that was pretty much it. That was that was <laughs> filling my my thoughts was just I can't believe it. This is this is absolutely incredible. And there and there they are. You know, they're so brazen, so low. They they did appear to be showing off. So I got that impression that they would. It, this was a demonstration, um, especially with the the way that they became transparent, but only for about half a second to a second before they then became solid again. Why would you do that if not to to just demonstrate that you could? So it seemed like they were kind of showing themselves and and so i didn't feel any threat no mm, interesting I, th I think i probably would but i would also be blown away just by the sort of magnificence of it as well from from the uh from from the sounds of things do you have any theories like obviously I'm, i would imagine that you would probably have been very interested to research black triangles and potential theories about what they're doing and things like that afterwards do you do you have any theories of as to what the relationship was between the kind of all black things and the main triangles and any theories about what black triangles in general might actually be doing yeah you know if i if i was making up this story i wouldn't include the orbs I, because it's because think about it both times when i saw them really close so the first time orbs dropping out of the sky in front of me i take my eyes off them to pull into my sister's car park and i lose sight of them and then i'm i'm looking in the direction and these triangles come from where i'd lost lost sight of them and then for the final sighting there are orbs hovering above the trees by the side by the side of the road i took my eyes off them to pull over the car and then i get out and i look back and now there are these two triangles it i think that's the most bizarre part of of those sightings is that they is that I see these orbs first and then I see the triangles and it's it's like if I'm a skeptic I'm thinking yeah Finn <laughs> what were you smoking you know it just seems really bizarre and so I but my obviously I've I've got to kind of try and work out what was going on and so I can only guess but I think the most obvious potential there is that the orbs changed into the triangles while I wasn't looking and it seemed like especially for the final sighting where the lower orb has got a spike coming out of its right hand side it's like it was it was changing shape it was like maybe I saw the beginning 
of a procedure of morphing and that they were actually beginning to change, or at least the lower one was beginning to change into a triangle and that I didn't see the rest of that process. I wish, with hindsight, I wish I had just stopped there right next to the orbs and watched as the spike continued to extend out of the right side. Would it then, would I have then seen these, these kind of basketball or slightly bigger sized orbs change into much larger triangles? Would I, would I have seen like something out of a sci-fi movie? Would they have morphed and changed and then eventually become triangles? Or was, or someone has suggested maybe the triangles materialized around the orbs. And I think that's actually basically what happened in the Colin Sanders Black Triangle sighting. Are you aware of Colin Sanders? He wrote the, the book mm. recently about it. I think that's what happened. He's looking at three lights and then the triangles materialize around the lights. So it could well be that that's what happened. But it seemed to me that the lower orb with the spike literally getting longer, coming out of the side of it, it seemed like that was morphing. It was changing shape. So I'm assuming that that's what happened while I was not looking at them, that they changed into the triangles. Wow, yeah, that, that's that's really fascinating. I, I kind of, I suppose, immediately went down the path of thinking that the orbs were perhaps some kind of, you know, like a probe type thing that that goes out ahead of the, the triangles or something, but I hadn't really considered the possibility of, of of them actually being sort of one and the same was there a was there a point you may mention already was was there a point where um you saw the triangles and the orbs at the same time i, I suppose not no no and i um i think it's more likely from the the trajectory that the orbs had when i first saw them that that they changed into the triangles because i didn't see the orbs flying away I just saw these orbs dropping down out of the sky, corkscrewing around each other, and then I lost sight of them behind some rooftops because I was now driving so close to some houses. And then from exactly the same direction where I'd lost sight of the orbs, these two triangles come flying overhead. And then for the final sighting, two orbs, one above the other, and then I pull over. takes 10 or 15 seconds to pull over, and then I get out and I look back and in exactly the same place where the orbs had previously been, previously been hovering, there were now two triangles side by side. So that's my, I have to guess because I didn't see, I wasn't watching what happened, but I, I don't think the orbs suddenly, when I, while my back was turned, I don't think the orbs suddenly flew away and then two triangles flew in to take their place. But obviously I don't know for sure. Yeah. And, and with these kind of... Um standalone experiences or have you had any continuing experiences since then no i i haven't had no other sightings since then and obviously i i've been keeping my eyes out and especially as because i'm not a taxi driver anymore but in the aftermath of that final sighting i was um really hoping it would happen again and i'd get you know another chance to have that kind of experience but nothing like that i did have um I think it was um, John Hansen phoned me um, because I think he must have um, seen, because I reported it to the newspapers in the immediate aftermath of that final sighting of 2008. And a researcher contacted me, and with hindsight, I think it was John Hansen because he he's got quite a distinct voice. And he asked me, 
uh, a series of questions. He was like, "Have you? Did you have any healing experiences in the aftermath? Were you? Did you have any problems that that were healed? Did you have any psychic experiences?" And then he said, "Did you have any um, poltergeist experiences?" And it was th- it was only when he asked me that that I was like, "Yeah, I I, I had twice in the." several weeks following that final sighting i walked in through my front door of my house after finishing my taxi shift at about midnight and my tv turned itself on and at the time it happened i wasn't thinking poltergeist i was just i was just like oh that's weird turned it off you know went upstairs and went to bed and th- but then it happened again about a week or two weeks later and i just thought again that's strange but it it stuck in my memory because it had never happened before um so then when he asked me about it, I said, yeah, my TV turned itself on. I th- is, you know, that that is kind of like something out of the movie Poltergeist, isn't it? And he said, that's actually very common for people who get really close to black triangles to have these electrical disturbances in their house, things like lights turning on and off and televisions turning on and off and that kind of thing. So I was just like, well, I don't know whether that's the case or whether it was just a coincidence and my TV decided to have a, a glitch like that. But um, it is, yeah, it is noteworthy. Yeah, and another thing you, you mentioned earlier as well was the uh, sort of like uh, 3D recreations. I'm not sure if that's the correct technical term for them, but um, you basically, um, if I'm explaining this right, you basically make um, like uh, CGI graphic uh, recreations of, of people's sightings. Um, and did he say that you're currently working on your own one? I'd, I'd had a look actually to try and find um, if you'd already done one for your sightings, but I couldn't couldn't see one there unless I missed it. Yeah, so I've been doing those since 2022. Um, so I worked with a, a guy called Patrick from Germany, really nice guy who I've remained close friends with because um, he had a black triangle sighting in 2013. And he saw that I had done recreations of my sightings but i had basically i taught myself to use blender which is a free 3d app so that i could build the scene and and basically create still images just showing kind of like the 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 most um, important parts of each sighting but he approached me and said hey could you do that for me and when he told me about what happened to him, I thought I might actually be able to animate that because it's relatively simple. He's just stood outside his house. He sees what looks like three stars that are really close together over to his right-hand side. And then after a few seconds, they shoot down out of the sky and they are actually a black triangle with three big white lights on it. And it hovers just above his neighbor's house. So it's a very close, completely unambiguous sighting. So I thought, yeah, I think I can animate that, but I'll teach myself to animate over the next couple of weeks, and then I'll do that. And once I'd done it, I thought, yeah, I, I, sh- I should do this for more cases, and I'll teach myself to get a bit better at it while I'm going. So the the reason why I haven't done my, my own sightings yet is because after I did a few of these animations, I've now got, um, I'm just counting them now, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. so I've got 15 Actually, it's 14 sightings, but two of them are are Gary Nolan's sighting. The first one, I did it just based on my imagination, based on listening to his um, telling of the story in a couple of different interviews. But then he got in contact with me. I can't remember whether I 
messaged him first or not, but he then worked with me to help me get it more accurate. So I kind of started again and I'm, I changed a few details to make it more accurate for him. Um, and so, yeah, after I'd done a few of these animations, I thought, well, now I can animate my own sightings, but I've, I'm, I've been putting it off because I thought I will really be able to spend a lot of time going into great detail, not only just on animating the sightings, but telling the story as well. I'll be able to include the newspaper clippings that came out in the press afterwards. And so that's why I haven't done mine yet. It's also, it's because, it, especially the final sighting, we're driving down a stretch of road that has got a lot of trees on it, and my computer is grinding to a halt because the scene is quite heavy on my computer. So I'm waiting till I get a better computer before I can then work on my own animations, and, and it'll be a lot less painstaking to do them properly. Yeah, uh, well, I look forward to to seeing that when when you do eventually do it, and I'd recommend if, if folks are interested, it's if I'm not mistaken, Fin three six five on YouTube, where they can find your channel. That's it. Yeah, YouTube.com forward slash yeah Fin three six five, or is it at, at Fin three six five? Uh, I'm not sure how YouTube. <laughs> I should really know that, but if you go to YouTube.com forward slash at Fin three six five forward slash videos you'll get the list of, of all 15 videos I've done so far. Yeah, and I noticed there's a few uh, Black Triangle ones on there as well. Is is that uh, because you've been looking for Black Triangle ones, obviously, based on your own sighting, or is it just people have heard about your sighting, or how, how did that come about? Yeah, it's not, actually. The, the majority of the videos that I've animated are people who have contacted me and said, could you animate my sighting? There are... There's the one that I did for Sean Rush, a.k.a. Witness Citizen, where I approached him and said, hey, could I do your sighting because it sounds interesting. Um, there's Gary Nolan's where I kind of you know, approached him, or at least I, I just did it off my own back and then worked on another one with him. But the majority of them are people who've got in touch with me through Reddit or Twitter or Facebook. Um Although the one I'm working on now is for a guy called Albert Wayne. And his one I was recommended uh, to check out by UFO Titan, a guy on Twitter. And so I checked out his, I checked out Albert Wayne's story that he tells on an episode of podcast UFO with Martin Willis. And I was really impressed by Albert. And I uh, thought that would, I think that one would be a good one to animate so that's the one i'm working on at the moment so i guess it's a mixture of some of them are, I'm, I'm approaching the witness and saying hey could i do this for you and some of them the witnesses are approaching me and i've had a few where i've thought well that one doesn't really suit what i'm going for because it's a little ambiguous I, I really am going for the i'm trying to focus on the sightings that are really close and unambiguous and preferably ones that are of structured craft like flying saucers triangles that kind of thing because there are plenty of them out there um so yeah, that's the main focus. Yeah, looking forward to to seeing any any further ones that you do. And as I say, if anybody's interested, any listeners want to check that out, well worth a, a look um, on that side of things. Um, so and and I just I hope that people have got like an impression of where you're coming from in terms of your own background. You've seen things that are unambiguously anomalous and. You know, you approach cases with a 
that that open-minded sort of rational skepticism based on the fact that you have seen stuff that you know is mind-blowingly anomalous and you're coming from a, a place of wanting to find which cases are also unambiguously anomalous if that makes sense yeah. and that's that's why that approach is so valuable to me because when i see you you saying that a case is is really something to, to to look at or chris spitzer or graham rendell people like that who don't just say that everything is is definitely a flying saucer from say to reticuli those are the ones that i go right now we're onto something let's get stuck into it and you know i'd, I'd like to just say thank you for that and um i hope you you continue to to do that kind of thing thanks yeah it's my pleasure and i and i you know i i think a, a good skeptic would ask but finn you got into this in 2007 you had a sighting in 2007 you had two more sightings on the same night in 2008 had you already learned everything you've learned now about debunking and about misidentifications by the time those sightings had happened in other words if you're really honest with yourself finn could you debunk your sightings um and the answer is no i hadn't learned everything that i now know about misidentifications and hoaxes um but if there was anything uh, that i've learned since like i mean pr to be honest i knew what aircraft looked like i knew what misidentifications of aircraft looked like at that point but i've learned more since then and if there was anything that I learned since then that made me kind of think back and think, oh, well, actually, you know what? That file sighting could have just been a 747, right? <laughs> then I would admit it. I would be able to debunk my own sightings if that was the case. But they are, they are so unambiguous. That final sighting, they were just meters above the treetops by the side of the road, hovering silently, less than 300 meters away. I can quite confidently rule out all possible mundane causes they were not any type of normal aircraft they were not a 747 in the distance they weren't a helicopter and i just couldn't hear it so you know and actually it was further away than i think there was nothing about any of my sightings that left me with any doubt even now having had more experience with misidentifications and having seen thousands of different videos, most of which we can explain in mundane terms. Um, yeah, it's like, well, yeah, but Finn, are you, invest are you too invested in it now? So you don't want to admit that you could have made a mistake? No, no. The Black Triangle craft are absolutely real. They're unambiguous. I have no idea where they come from. I don't think the evidence is very compelling that actually they're a secret government vehicle that they decide to test on Friday nights above small towns, potentially scaring a taxi driver into crashing his car. I mean, what happened if I crashed my car because I was too busy looking at those things? That's not how you test your secret tech. And if it is, if you're testing it, that suggests that you're, you're you know, you, it's like if you test it and it crashes, what are you going to do then? When your black triangle crashes on the motorway in a small town, in South Wales. So it just seems actually kind of illogical to me that these things would be the testing of some government project. I think it's it's sensible to just actually conclude that these are truly unknown. And I don't know whether they're aliens or whatever, but it just the 
the nature of their behavior suggests to me that there is something incredibly weird going on. And I don't think that just brushing it off as being some secret government thing that we can't actually, we still can't explain. And that so, so the supposedly the government have got anti-gravity technology, have they? Well, so then you're just kind of creating one conspiracy theory to to replace another because you don't like the sound of aliens. So I'm, I'm just happy to say I don't know what the origin was, but I'm open to compelling arguments. Yeah, well, I, I'm definitely going to be thinking a lot about black triangles tonight now, I think. I'll be out on my patio having a look to see if I can see any, but I, I, based on my usual look, I don't think I will. But um, well, uh, that's basically... <laughs> yeah thanks well that's basically all we've got time for for now but just yeah thank you so much really really interesting i've thoroughly enjoyed hearing about that and um i'm sure the listeners will as well so uh, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up no that's it just thanks for having me on frank i really like your work i like your balanced approach and um yeah just thanks very much for having me on and, and well i guess if there are any witnesses out there who've had really unambiguous experiences then please don't hesitate to get in contact with with me through uh Twitter is probably the best way. Just send me a DM. Yeah, and that's um, Twitter. So X nowadays would be what at Fin three six five as well. Yeah, F I N three six five. I'll, I'll leave the links in the description anyway. Actually, thinking about it to right. your, the YouTube and your Twitter, so that people can find it that way, nice and easy. Uh, and yeah, thanks again. Real pleasure. Nice one. Thanks. UFO Thinker Podcast. Podcast.